0: good morning morning. i am the reverend michelle legrave the interim co-lead minister of this congregation and it is my great joy to welcome you here to first unitarian universalist church of austin texas we are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth meaning and beauty I especially want to welcome you if you are new or visiting at this church. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever you find yourself on your life's journey, whichever your pronouns, whether you've walked in or rolled in or dialed in, whomever you love, you are welcome here You belong here. We come from a long and living tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. It's in this tradition, this living tradition, that I invite you to greet the holy among us. Either in the comments, online, or by turning to those around you. Let us do so now.
1: My name is Nancy Barnard. Um, My pronouns are she, her, and I am your lay leader for today. Please join me in saying the words to light the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Today's call to worship is entitled, For What Shall We Give Thanks? It was written by the Reverend Laura Horton Ludwig, who is a spiritual director, life coach, shamanic practitioner, and a Unitarian Universalist minister. The wheel of the year has turned again. Once more, the Thanksgiving season has arrived. How shall we sing our song of gratitude now? For what shall we give thanks? For this moment, for friends near and far, for our breath, for love, for courage and clarity, for strength, for delight, for laughter, for beauty, for the tables round which we gather, for the food we enjoy with friends, seasoned with love and memory, for the sun and moon and stars in the sky, for the trees who have seen so much and still stand proud, stretching themselves to the sky, for the bright voices of children, For the wisdom of elders, for actions that bless the world, for hard work that makes a difference, for music and art and celebration, for generosity, for compassion, for endurance, for joy, for hope, for all these things we give thanks as we worship together.
2: One of the things that binds First UU together as a religious community is that the congregation has a common religious purpose. For First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is the mission. The congregation wrote it together, we put it on our wall in the sanctuary, and every Sunday church participants say it together so that we may more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's say it together now. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community.
3: I'm Kelly Stokes, and I'm going to read you a story. We're going to read a story today that's by it's by multiple authors, but the main author of this story is Mash P which is a tribe of people from Massachusetts. She still lives in Massachusetts with her family, and her family members are in this book we're going to read today. And she has a little before you begin about the story, and I want to read you part of it. She says, At the time of the first Thanksgiving, many tribes lived in the same area. They are often known as Indians or Native Americans. In this story, we call them first peoples, because they were the first to live on this land the Wampanoag people have taken care of their land and tended their gardens for at least 12,000 years. Wow, right? Yeah. The Wampanoag people hunt, fish, and raise the three sisters, corns, bean, and squash. Over time, First Peoples developed deep knowledge about the ways that many plants, often called medicine, help bodies and minds stay healthy. And we're going to see corn and beans, and squash. These are the spirits of corn, beans, and squash. We're going to see them in the story. So when you see these figures that look like that, you know that that's who that is. They're the plants. So this is called Kipanamuk, Weachaman's Thanksgiving story. Weachaman is the spirit of corn. Can I move? Can I move my foot? Can you move back so I can move my foot? I love your garden this time of year, said Maple. Me too. What shall we pick for lunch? Nukumus asked, how about crab apples? Maple suggested, no, choke cherries, Quill shouted. Those are both good medicine, Nukumus said. How about some Buiachaman as well? Yes, Maple replied. She is such a good big sister to beans and squash. The three sisters, they grow together, Quill added. You're right. They feed people all over Turtle Island, Nukemis said, and they have many stories to tell. Can you tell us a story? Quill asked. How about the time Weachemun asked our Wampanoag ancestors to help the pilgrims? Nukemis replied. The first Thanksgiving? Maple asked. Some people call it that, Nukemis said. We call it Keep Keep on on the time of harvest. Here's what really happened. On a frosty fall morning a long time ago, a large boat with white sails approached the shore. Seagull circled above the boat, squawking, new people are coming, new people are coming. Hearing the news, Weachemun stretched her weary ears toward the sky. Who are these new people? she asked. Two winters had passed since many of the first peoples who cared for Weachemun passed on to the spirit world. Those who were not taken by sickness found new homes to ease their heavy hearts and rebuild their lives. Weachemun feared this winter would be her last and called upon Fox for help. Fox looked up at Wiyachaman. Should we trust these newcomers? He asked. Stay close and watch what they do, Weachamon told Fox. Fall turned to winter. Weachaman and the other plants fell asleep. Fox watched the newcomers come ashore. He watched as they made their way into the forest. He watched them enter an abandoned wetu. He watched them taking a cooking pot and a basket out of of Weachaman's seeds. Don't take us away, the seeds cried. We are waiting for the first peoples to come back in the spring to prepare our beds. We must grow first. But the newcomers could not hear the seeds. Their ears did not know the voices of the land. Fox watched the newcomers build homes on top of an empty village. He watched as they searched for food, but they could never find enough to eat. Many of the newcomers lost mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters during the long, cold winter. The First Peoples watched as well. News traveled fast among nearby tribes that newcomers had arrived. Nobody was sure what to make of them. For many years, others had traveled across the sea to hunt, fish, and trade. Some were friendly, some were not. These new people seemed different. They were here to stay. Winter turned into spring. The sun warmed the earth. The newcomers continued their search for food. Weachaman awoke from her long slumber and thanked the creator for another season. She and her sisters, beans and squash, pushed through the ground and reached toward the sky. Fox returned to share what he had seen. The newcomers are hungry, Fox told the three sisters. They took Weachaman's seeds but they don't know how to help them grow. Other animals came to hear what Fox had to say. We should help, Weachamund said. I agree, Bean said. Our home is their home now. I think we should too, said Squash. People help us grow. We must help, Deer said. We agreed to feed the people. In return, they care for the home we share. I wouldn't said Fox. The newcomers don't know our world. Sometimes new people can seem scary, Rabbit said. The creator tells us to help all living things. This is how the world works. Yes, Duck and Turkey agreed. It's settled, Riachaman said. We will send the first peoples to help the newcomers. Over the next few nights, Weächman sent dreams to the First Peoples with a message. Bring me and my sisters to the newcomers. They are hungry and need help. The First Peoples listened. Their leader, Osamikwan, visited the newcomers. He could see that they wanted peace. Osamikwan introduced the newcomers to Tisquantum spring turned into summer. Tisquantum showed the newcomers how to raise Weachaman and her sisters, beans and squash. He taught the newcomers how to feed fish and seaweed to Weachaman to help her grow. Soon, Weachaman's seeds pushed through the earth and climbed toward the sky. Beans wrapped around Weachemun's strong stalks. Squash stretched her vines across the ground, keeping Weachaman's bed cool and moist. Summer turned to fall, Weachamon brimmed with food. So did beans and squash. Weachamon smiled as the newcomers thanked Tisquantum and the First Peoples for their help. Keep it amok, the time of harvest had come. The newcomers prepared a feast to celebrate the first year in their new home. They fired muskets in celebration. Boom, boom, boom. Osamikwan warriors and the other First Peoples arrived. They feasted for three days. That meal changed both our lives and theirs forever. Many Americans call it a day of Thanksgiving. Many of our people call it a day of mourning. That's different from what we learn in school, said Maple. It was Wiachiman and the other beings of the land, sea, and sky who made the newcomers' first harvest possible. That's right, Newcomus said. This is why we pray before we eat. Well, what did the newcomers and our ancestors eat, Nukumus? Quill asked. Many things, succotash, duck, turkey, rabbit, deer, lobster, fish, pumpkins, cranberries, boiled bread, and the somp. said. All this talk about food is making me hungry, Maple said. Let's go make some lunch then, Nukumus laughed. And we'll enjoy every bite, said Quill. Thanksgiving
1: as a Day of Mourning was written by the Reverend Mike Johnson, whose pronouns are she, her. Johnson blogs on spirituality and ecology at Finding Our Way Home. She is a retired Unitarian Universalist minister who resides in Portland, Maine. In 1617, a few years before English settlers landed, an epidemic began to spread through the area that became southern New England. It likely came from British fishermen who had been fishing off the coast for decades. By 1620, 90 to 96% of the population had died. It decimated the tribes and left many of their villages empty. One of those villages was Patuxet, When the English settlers arrived in Plymouth Harbor, they found a cleared village with fields recently planted in corn. This was a big part of the reason they chose it for their settlement. All of the village's people had died from the epidemic, except for Tisquantum, whom we know as Squanto. We never really hear the whole story about Squanto. We hear he taught the settlers how to plant corn and fish and hunt the local area. But how was it that he spoke English? Here's the story as told by James W. Lowen. As a boy, along with four Penobscots, he was probably stolen by a British captain in about 1605 and taken to England. There, he probably spent nine years two in the employ of a Plymouth merchant who later helped him arrange a passage back to Massachusetts. He was to enjoy home life for less than a year. In 1614, a British slave raider seized him and two dozen fellow Indians and sold them into slavery in Malaga, Spain. Squanto escaped from slavery, made his way back to England, and in 1619, talked a ship captain into taking him along as a guide on his next trip to Cape Cod. Squanto walked to his home village, only to make the horrifying discovery that he was the sole member of his village still alive. All the others had perished in the epidemic two years before. Perhaps this was why Tisquantum was willing to help the Plymouth Colony which had settled in his people's village. Or perhaps he was there to keep an eye on them. The settlers, too, lost half their people during the first hard winter. There were only 53 settlers who survived until the harvest festival that was later declared to be the first Thanksgiving. It was a brief moment of tentative peace. One generation later, the English settlers in the Wampum the Wampanoag were at war. For many Native people in our time, the day called Thanksgiving has become a day of mourning for the hundreds of years of losses suffered by their people.
2: This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together together. And breathing together, we sense one another's loving presence. Breathing in, breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us. Breathing together, We enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that we also hold sacred human sounds, including those of small children. Let us enter that silence together. I invite you now to light a candle if you are so moved. Candles representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance, resilience, whatever it is you would like to honor during this time. As we light candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart the family and loved ones of Vic Cornell. We will hold a memorial service here at the Church for Vic on December 16th at 2 p.m., please also join us in joyful gratitude that after an extended time at the Cleveland Clinic, Karen Cleary has been able to return home along with her husband, Michael. All blessings. Now, as we light our candles, let us also hold the silence together throughout this meditative time.
4: Waking light It grew from the shadow Brace yourself To the morning low Night is gone A long way turning You've waited long enough to know When the man Where you can't make it home When the morning comes to meet you Lay me down in waking life, No one sees you here The room are all covered, there's such a light to go, and how much can you show, day is gone on the land side of rhythm, it's in your lamplight burning.
0: And now we light one last candle for all those for whom there is no one to light a candle. We are a people of many lands, you and me. Human nature being what it is, many of us have migrated from place to place over time. Some of us to many places And for those of us who have not, our ancestors surely have. These migrations may have occurred in the last few generations or centuries ago. They may have been chosen or forced by war or political will or economic necessity or for some other reason. And if we go far enough back in time, those of us who are indigenous and those of us who are not all migrated out of Africa. Unless, of course, you are actually wishing up with us from somewhere in Africa right now, which is not beyond the realm of possibility these days. I know we have someone as far as Germany. I don't know if we have farther than that. Maybe we can find out. Someone can email me from online. As a people, united by this hour or so of worship, we have many relationships with and stories about the land on which we live. The land on which we love. The land on which we work. The land on which we play. I am, by the way, using the word land intentionally. I want us to reflect at least for a little while on the land itself. The land you personally know. The land you have experienced. Walked on, rolled on, sat on, laid down on, crawled on, traveled upon. Not the whole earth, which none of us have experienced and not the place names and designations we know the land by, at least not yet. Take a moment to imagine the land of your birth, the land of your growing up years. How do you know it? By its bus system or subway system? By watching it roll by from a car window? by playing in a yard, or a city park, or on a playground, (coughs) by swimming in its rivers and camping in its woods, by the ways in which it provided sustenance or recreation, by the ways in which it required work or encouraged play, by the relationships you had with its people your neighbors, family, and friends? How did you, how do you know that land, those places of your birth and your growing up years? Do you still know it? I grew up in a place far to the northeast of here, A land of steep hills and small mountains with a river that flowed in the valley below. A place of seasons with summers plenty hot enough for swimming and camping and picnicking. Falls filled with beautiful, vibrant, colorful leaves for raking and playing. Winters with plenty of snow every winter for sledding and building snowmen and shoveling and springs filled with pussy willows and colorful flowers and Easter egg hunts. I knew the land, mostly by walking and playing upon it. I walked to school almost every day. I walked to the homes of my family and friends, to my church and the library and the corner stores, and most anywhere I wanted to go. Though sometimes I did ride my bike. I knew all the shortcuts, the paths where the roads didn't go, the stairs cut into the sides of the hills, the bricks of one seemingly magical road, the playgrounds and parks and athletic fields. And I knew who most of my neighbors were. I knew the land. And I dare say it knew me. The land shapes me into who I am today. I knew the land. I had finally learned how to listen to the land. I am grateful for this land, for the lands of my birth. The land. <sighs> Thinking about the land, especially these days, isn't a simple trip down memory lane or a nice little bit of nostalgia. It can get pretty complicated. And it's a deeply spiritual exercise. The place I am from is called Nagata, Connecticut. And yes, you say it really fast just like that. Naugatuck, Connecticut. Can you hear it? The names are not English. They come from the Algonquian language group. Naugatuck means lone tree, and it was probably the name of a small Pagaset village along the banks of the Naugatuck River. What I love about these names is that they reflect one small piece of authentic heritage, that colonization did not completely wipe away. As a child, I like to wonder about these people and what their lives were like before my ancestors came to live on their land. These names are a small, tiny token, but I love to say them because they feel to me like an honoring of the land and its people from long before white folks like me learned about land acknowledgements. For those of you who might be new to the practice, land acknowledgements are statements made by non-Indigenous groups or institutions or sometimes individuals, recognizing the people on whose ancestral lands they live, work, and play. They are not meant to be empty statements made after a quick Google search, but rather meaningful statements that coincide with a person or group's commitment to doing the work of repair and reconciliation. This is deep spiritual work that requires a long process of both self-examination and and study, and yes, I know us. You use it's a little too easy to get wrapped up with that learning and study, and kind of allow the uh, self-examination piece to fall to the side. But both are required here in the place now called Austin, Texas. We might begin a land acknowledgement by expressing gratitude to the Tonkawa, Humanos, Coahuiltecan, Comanche, Apache, and all the others on whose ancestral lands we live, work, play, and worship. We express our gratitude to them for their stewardship, their long stewardship of these lands. We might then study the history and the prehistory of these lands and the people who arranged upon them, as well as the current context in which they live. We might then engage in a trust-building and relationship-building process to begin the work of repair and reconciliation And, by the way, if you and your family is indigenous to this area or whatever area you now live in, you also might begin to consider, if you haven't already, what it is you might need or want from the rest of us from such a process. That is, in addition, of course, to doing our personal work work that can look a variety of ways depending on our individual identities. For me, this work feels especially complicated at this time of year as I prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving. One thread of my family's story is that I am descended from pilgrims who arrived on the Mayflower, one of whom my many greats, 11 greats, to be exact, grandfather, was William Brewster, the spiritual leader of their little congregation. I won't pretend that I am done doing my personal work around this personal history. I have been working on it for years now. One thing, though, I can share with you now that has been helpful to me is to consciously and conscientiously shift to a postmodern way of thinking and remember that there is no single truth. There are many truths, many truths that are true at the same time. One truth is that the pilgrims represent the beginning wave of colonialism on these lands and all that is inherently wrong with that. Another truth is that the pilgrims represent the beginning waves of freedom of religion in what eventually became the United States of America, and they risked their lives to do it. These are two of the many, many gifts that I received from my ancestors. One story has not been told often or understood well enough, and the other has been told too often and in too simplified a way. One story requires of me repair and reconciliation. The other requires gratitude. While neither story can be told easily, both can be done joyfully. So however it is that you plan to spend the actual day of Thanksgiving, I encourage you to spend some time in spiritual practice and personal reflection this coming week. Maybe while you're peeling those potatoes. There is much to think and wonder about. What is your personal relationship to the lands on which you live, work and play and worship now? What is your ancestral story and relationship to this land? And what comes next? Whatever that is, let us keep gratitude at the center No matter our individual stories, we all, we all drink from wells that we did not dig and are warmed by fires we did not build. And remember that while no one... And remember that while that early harvest celebration in 1621 was not the first... And while no one knew how soon after things would go so very, very wrong, that one Thanksgiving feast was celebrated altogether in peace for three whole days and with much gratitude. May we learn to do so again. With blessings on your holiday. Amen. And blessed be.
1: Let us say the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.
0: In these complicated times when the land is at the center of so much violence, may you be held in love as you lament all that needs to be lamented.
2: And in this season of celebration, as we gather with friends and family in our church community, may you be held up by hope as you celebrate all that calls for celebration.
0: Go now in peace, with love in your heart, compassion at your fingertips, and kindness on your lips. Amen, Amen and
2: blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.